Hello, this is post-editing MJ here. A quick note, in this episode, we used incorrect terms, which are people who identify as women and people who identify as men. The correct terms are trans men, trans women, cis men, or cis women, as appropriate. We apologize for the error, and we're always looking for opportunities to learn more about things and improve ourselves. And thank you, everyone, for understanding. And thank you so much for listening. Welcome back to another episode in Everything is Public Health, the Public Health Pondering series. We're sticking with that name. That is the name we're going for. I'm MJ. And I'm Cass. So one of the principles in public health, we discussed this when we talked about like road designs and traffic, you know, the breakaway streetlights and, you know, traffic designed to minimize motor vehicle injuries from incidents. And one of the idea is vision zero, which is the idea that if we just make the injury or the incident improbable to happen. So like a protected bike lane is one of those examples. Like it's not just like a painted thing on the road. You actually have a thing that separates a cyclist and a pedestrian from the cars. Assuming cars don't just drive into it anyway, which they do in Baltimore all the time. But yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's a term for this and I'm forgetting that general concept of making the incident harder to happen physically. Um, well, I mean, so sorry. I was trying to think. Is there a term? There should be a term for this. So there is a phrase safety by design, which is sort of a concept about when we design products or environments we're designing with safety in mind so that the safest thing is the easiest thing. Right. Um, Sue Baker yes. was one of the, the real champions of this throughout her career. I don't know if that's exactly the phrase that you were looking for, but that's what we think about injury prevention. Like we can create safer products, environments, make injuries less likely to happen by the way we design the products and spaces. Yeah. So if there is a term for it, I will try to find it after recording. But uh, the concept is a very public health concept, which is just make the space in a way that it is harder for the incident to happen in the first place. The protected bike lane is an example. Yeah, It goes back to some of the things we've talked about before, just generally thinking about injury prevention, which is like the primary goal is to separate in time and space the harm from that which is to be protected. So like a protected bike lane, you are separating physically in space cars from bikes and having some signals, painting, you know, barriers, whatever, to make it clear that cars are not supposed to be in that space. So that that comes back to the sort of Haddon's principles of injury prevention. Exactly. And we're going to apply this principle. When I say we, I mean like the royal we, not me and you, Cass. But people have applied this principle in the space of gender-based violence or, you know, sexual harassment and stuff. And it's a very controversial solution for many reasons. From both sides, there's controversy, which is women-only spaces, so women-only gym or women-only train cars, which is a very common theme in Asian countries like Japan, where the idea is you physically give a space that is for women in a sense that men are not allowed to be in that space. And the idea is through that design, reduce the incidence. For example, in Japan, the train cars, a women-only train cars are designed to reduce the incidence of sexual harassment on the train, which is a very common problem in Japan. It's called like 
women get groped on the train, essentially. The idea that is probably more common in United States, like women-only gym are starting to become more popular, where it's a gym space that is for women only. And the idea is that a lot of women get ogled at and uh, sometimes harassed in uh, gyms. So some people are saying, okay, we're just going to build a gym that's for women's only or have a gym where certain hours are for women only so that they can feel safe. Very controversial solution. And before I give my take, what is your first impression on solutions like a woman-only space, whether it's train cars or gyms or other space like that? So I have some mixed thoughts. On one hand, if women are actively asking for these kinds of spaces and they're made in response to women saying, hey, we would like these spaces, maybe it's partly to address some of the issues that you just raised. But also I know that being a woman who sometimes works out at the gym, it's not even just about like oogling or or being harassed, but like people just like looking at you, like, why are you in the gym? Yeah, like, why it. are you here? Why are you over here in this section? Why don't you go over to, you know, the elliptical or the, or the yoga or mats or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. So on, on one hand, I could see women wanting to have a space where they are sort of welcome and it's expected that they would be using any of the equipment. And if they're being made in response to that, I could see that as a potential benefit. But I also see it as sort of potentially counterproductive. Again, thinking about, well, if we want women to not be harassed, let's just make women go into this space that's just for them as opposed to addressing the root cause of that harassment, which is how we raise men and people who identify as men and really how we think about what are the expectations we're setting for how we treat people in public spaces. And if we are making these women only spaces to avoid having to address, you know, the root cause, then I think that's problematic and might potentially perpetuate some of these issues in terms of like, well, why do they get special spaces? And Oh, God, that argument just triggered me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, like you said, it is a very, very controversial solution on both sides of these political spectrum. I also have very mixed feelings, and I think they are the same as what you articulated, because it is a very public health principle to be like, well, there is a general danger and we're going to separate the danger from the people who might be uh, victims to those danger, both physically and in time, like the same principle with the protected bike lane. But like you said, yeah, like we are essentially ignoring the root problem. But then you can make that same argument about cars, which is the root problem is that cars are dangerous and we design our roads in a way that is dangerous. And as someone who doesn't like cars, I would ideally like to see way fewer cars on the road. <laughs> it's been a while since you've, you've since you've shared your car hate. So, but you know, like you know. in public health, the issue is sometimes you can't address the root cause. That's like the plight of public health. Like we never have enough leverage and funding, unfortunately, to address the root cause. So is this a good intermediary solution to at least do something? So here's my here's my I don't know if this is my sort of main issue or main concern, but here is a a main concern that I have with this. So sure, in the gym environment, there might be women who are oogled, harassed, whatever. Oogled, I actually don't know what the correct pronunciation is, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know the right pronunciation on that one. Um, anyway, and so then, you know, they may opt into a women's only gym or, or women's only workout space. And so for that particular context, maybe something could be created that would address it. But People who may be more likely to, you know, oogle or harass a woman in the gym space, maybe that same person is more likely to oogle or harass 
women in other spaces? And are we going to create every space in the U.S. that is has a woman-only option so that they can avoid being oogled? Or do we just say, hey, let's talk about the issue that we have around the patriarchy and sexism and why men think it's appropriate to to sort of oogle and harass people? I'm going to slight, very slight tangent. So I think we've talked about the fact that I'm a runner and I run often first thing in the morning. So I ran this morning. You recently did a race. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Just on Sunday, won my age group, which was exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So I was running this morning. It's dark out. I I was out the door at 515. So I've got a little like light that I attach to my, um, the waistband of my shorts so I can see, you know, see where I'm running, whatever. Yeah. Good. But I was running and I passed several people, several people working, you know, picking up garbage or watering plants or whatever. Like people who were, people were out and about because I ran downtown and 99% 99% of people, you know, they they acknowledged that I was, hey, there's a person going by and then sort of went on their way. Sure, as you should. I was, I was running towards one person who was picking up the trash and he saw me coming from, I don't know, maybe 30 feet away. He set down what he was doing, put his hands on his hips and just stared at me as I went running by. And then you know, whatever, went went back on his merry way and was doing his thing and like, okay, fine, you know, whatever. But like, what am I, what I don't like to run in a gym. I don't want to run on a treadmill. I want to run outside in public spaces. So like, what are we going to do? We're going to say, well, okay, well, Cass, you can only run outside during certain hours of the day so that you don't get oogled. Are we to say, hey, dudes, like maybe, maybe, you know, this goes back to the, don't stare at people. Exactly. (laughs) This goes back to the the campus rape thing that we mentioned in the episode. And also that happened like a few years ago where the university's official statement was to tell women to stay indoors after dark rather than, you know, do something about the men doing the assaulting. And I think it is a framing issue. Like we, by making these spaces, we are essentially framing it as from the victim's perspective. Do you know what I mean? Like you're framing it as in like, it's about where women should and can't be rather than, like you said, why are public spaces not safe for women? Well, this really hits close to home for me. Not not just because of the run experience this morning, but- I'm sure a lot of women runners have the same- issues that sure well so actually i was going to go in a slightly different direction but it all comes back to the same thing which is so i'm going to tell a brief anecdote and then i'll come back to how this sort of relates to the framing piece so i was in the dc metro like two weeks ago talking on my phone which i normally don't do normally use airpods but whatever i was talking on my phone scanned out of the metro to go out of the station and right as i was walking out of the station door got smacked upside the head somebody snatched my phone ran down the escalator and took off with my my phone and, and the little wallet that I was carrying. And immediately I was like, as I was literally just said, why was I talking in my phone? Why did I have my little wallet in my hand? You know, why wasn't I paying better attention? Like it just immediately started blaming myself and feeling guilty for like all the things that I had done wrong. And the reason, and coming back to your point about framing, the reason I did that and the reason we see these frames is because our immediate inclination is to blame the victim. Yes. Why were you in that situation? Why were you not paying attention? Why were you dressed that way? Why did you drink so much? Like, we don't have spaces where people can be vulnerable and still feel safe, but then we blame the victim as opposed to blaming the structures the systems and the people who then make those places unsafe. Yeah. I'm feeling a little salty the last two weeks. <laughs> so sorry. And like you said, you did nothing wrong. Like people should be able to talk on their phones. Uh, maybe not loudly. I guess my only complaint would be a noise complaint, but you know, they should be able to hold your phone to your face. Like that's not a, that's not a thing that you should be 
not able to do. And so you did nothing wrong. You were just on your phone and someone stole your phone. That's literally what happened. And where was I going with this? Right. So it goes back to the framing of like the idea of these women only spaces. While it does have that principle of like, well, we're just going to make a safe space, but it also is in some ways very counterproductive, like you've pointed out and uh, I've pointed out. And it is also controversial for many, many other reasons. For example, if you define a woman-only space, you need to define what is a woman. Yeah, I was hoping that we would come back to this <laughs> because we've been talking about this and I immediately was thinking about... Uh-oh. <laughs> sorry for interrupting you, by the way. No, but go ahead. <laughs> I was immediately thinking about women-only trains in Japan. Yes. Well, is it actually female only trains? Mm. Is it by sex? Mm-hmm. Or is it actually gender? Yeah. And people who identify as women are also welcome in that space because how would you feel if you were someone who identified as a woman yeah. and you wanted to be on a train where there was only other women, but you weren't allowed on? So then you're stuck in an area identifying as a woman, probably presenting as a woman, and then you're exposed to then potentially more harassment because you don't get to be in that same space. Yeah, there's a lot of transphobia, uh, which is what my segue was. There's a lot of transphobia both here and everywhere. Yeah, it gets really touchy in a way that I don't know why people are transphobic, but since I'm not transphobic, so like it's hard for me to wrap my head around why people are. But like, I mean, this is not an excuse at all, not a justification, but as like evolutionarily at our sort of most basic instinct, we are designed to be questioning and potentially even fearful of things that are different from what we would expect. Right. But people who are not uh-huh. <laughs> don't act on that basic instinct they take the time to understand and even if so i'm not transphobic i am anti-racist i you know we aspire to be i try to be as progressive and as thoughtful right i try to be the best version of myself that i could possibly be but i'll be perfectly honest there are times where in a moment i might make sort of a snap assumption or a snap thought and i'm like whoa where the did that come from pause let me let me not generalize or not stereotype or whatever like so it's not that People can't ever have those kinds of thoughts, but it's like those are not not acting on those thoughts. Sorry, that was not related at all to what we were talking about. No, no, no. It's a good point to make, which is we have like, you know, base instincts, like you said, but those base instincts or what was or what gets ingrained to us in media and all those other things. Yeah, just from evolution, whatever you want to say. But those instincts do not define us. What define us is how we process those instincts and how we behave afterwards. Yeah. But yeah, like the woman only cars and woman only gym, you get into the subject of like, how do you define a woman? And I assume you know what turf is. Turf as in like the field that you play on in a stadium? No. Or like <laughs> the, the ground that you hold? Like your turf? No, okay. I don't know what T-E-R-F Turf is. is... Maybe I do. I just don't... I mean, I think the concept you, you know, but it's it, the term existed for a long time, but it got really pushed into the public consciousness when the author of Harry Potter came out as essentially a turf, which is trans exclusionary radical feminists. Like they are feminists, but they are very oh, against trans yes. people because to them, being woman is special. And if anyone can be a woman, then being woman is no longer special. That's their argument. I don't believe it. I'm just stating what they're saying. Um, no, I know exactly. I didn't know what the acronym... It's called turf. Yeah, there I didn't know what the acronym yeah, you know, was, you know. but I know exactly. As soon as you said the author of Harry Potter, I knew exactly where you were going because I remember this. And that to me is just such a messed up perspective. And being a woman is special. 
Yeah. And for people who are born with a sex that doesn't match their gender identity, having the courage to say, actually, you know what? I'm going to potentially expose myself to abuse, alienation, ostracization, however you say that word. That is correct. (laughs) So that I can, you know, present in a way that matches how I like on the outside, how I feel on the inside. Like that's super brave. And people who are willing to do that, like that makes being a woman that much more special because people are brave enough to, to try take to match. That step. Yeah. yeah. And so I, whatever, I think everybody on the podcast who listens to the podcast knows that we're, we aspire to be open-minded and progressive and, and as inclusive as possible. But yeah, that, that just actually, like I started to get a little misty eyed here because it just hurts my heart, right? It just hurts my heart that people can't just accept people for whoever they are. Like what? It doesn't hurt me. No, it doesn't at all. <laughs> for someone to identify as a woman who was born as a male, like it does, who, who cares? Yeah. It takes, it's, it doesn't hurt me at all. Yeah. So being a turf is like cutting off your nose despite your face. Exactly. So that's the last thing I'll say. They have allied themselves in the last two decades with like far right conservatives because ironically, they share the same goal. <laughs> But even though they're technically they they have feminists in their name, but they're allying themselves with like far right conservatives because of the issue of like so woman only train is not that common in America. The issue that turfs are fighting is non binary bathrooms, which okay, wait, clarification: bathrooms only for people who are non binary or all gender. Sorry, gender neutral bathroom. Did I say non binary bathroom? That was a little yeah. brain fart. It's gender neutral <laughs> bathroom. There's no such thing as a non binary bathroom. I don't think, but. <laughs> gender neutral bathrooms bathrooms are a silly thing to get upset about because there are lots of ways that you can design them so that people can feel comfortable in the in the spaces yeah it is a very silly thing to be upset about and interestingly i don't know how often you're in the wolf street building this is a tangent so in this all gender bathroom that you walk into there's sinks on the right and then there's like eight stalls on the left and again they're like floor to ceiling doors yeah, yeah, and walls yeah. i know exactly yeah. what you're talking about yeah but if you walk in Right above the toilet on the wall, it says, we're glad you feel comfortable in this space. Please lock the door behind you. Because apparently a lot of men are not necessarily used to to using a urinals. And so they would leave the doors open and people were walking in. Come on, men. So there's there's some some learning to do and and you know some things in these spaces, but there are ways that you can do that. But anyway, excluding people and not letting people be who they are is just it's just not being a good human. Yeah, weird, very weird how that bothers you. But anyway, um, there's so many things that could bother you. Why is that the hell that you want to die on? Right, we have children who are food insecure and gun violence, you immense know. rates of poverty, yeah. and. How you know housing insecurity and and insufficient plumbing and clean not water, good water and <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but don't you dare share a bathroom with me. That's that's the line. <laughs> that's the line. I don't want to cross. The, yeah. Um, so this is all a teaser. I don't know how many weeks in the future. Um, sometimes it's hard to do a production schedule and stick to it, guys. But it is a teaser that we will do a I don't know like like a trans issue episode. We will do one of those in the future. It's just one of those things that I think we have to cover. It's just. You know, one episode a week, so you can only do so much, so much a week. So, um, but yeah, like let's wrap up. Let's go back to the beginning. I think we took a really roundabout detour, but let's go back to the beginning. What is our verdict on these uh, women-only spaces? Whether it's gym, I can only think of gym. There must be another example besides gym and train cars. Yeah, I don't know. I I can only think of gyms, spas, maybe. Oh yeah, like spa, swimming pools. That's part of a gym-ish kind of. 
But yeah, like what is our verdict on these women only spaces? It has pros and cons, but what is what is the public health verdict on these spaces? Well, I don't feel like I can make a public health verdict on the space, but I think, you know, I can now that we've talked this through, you know, we mentioned in the beginning, right, that we both thought that there was maybe some mixed feelings on this. I think I think I still have I have mixed feelings. Mixed too, yeah. feelings. I think that women only spaces that are inclusive can be a bridge solution while we work to address larger cultural issues around sexism and the patriarchy and those sorts of things. But if we think that women-only spaces are the solution, the end goal, then I'm, I think that that's a, a flawed solution. Yeah. I also think it's a temporizing solution, right? It, some people do appreciate those spa- safe spaces, and for people that do appreciate those safe spaces and want those safe spaces, assuming those safe spaces are inclusive, then I think it's a it's it's a tool. It's like I said, public health is not we have one solution and this is a solution we have to we have to stick to. Public health is all about multiple solutions, multiple perspective. And this is just one of the tools that we have. You said something really interesting that you were just describing when you were talking about these being safe spaces for women and them being inclusive. And I think for many people, those concepts are contradictory, that in order to be a safe space that is women only, there are some women who would say it needs to be female only. goes back to the issue. And then there are some people who say, okay, in order for this to be a safe space that is women only, maybe as a trans woman, they might not feel safe in that space that is for women only because some people in that space are transphobic. And so I think the the goal would be an inclusive and safe women only space as a bridge while we work to address some of these societal issues. But I think we need to recognize that there are people who, for whatever reason, race, gender identity, sexual orientation, don't feel safe even in their own homes. I didn't want to sort of gloss over no, that it no, would be of sort not. of easy to make a safe and inclusive space. Not not that you were, you didn't, I wasn't meaning to imply that at all, but like, I just want everybody to recognize that it's a really challenging thing to work toward. It is really challenging. And I'll end on this anecdote. Uh, someone who is close to me that shall not be named, when we're discussing like gender neutral bathrooms, she was like, well, I don't want like men in my bathroom. I don't like that. I don't want men in my bathroom because like I don't feel safe when there's men in my bathroom. And obviously this talked about like, you know, trans women using women's bathroom. Uh, the conversation sort of digressed there. And it's something that I think a lot of people who don't have a lot of exposure to what trans people are, who don't have a lot of exposure or knowledge about what being trans is, they don't understand that trans people are not just like a guy putting on a wig right you know like they're not just like a woman who cut their hair short right and to prove my point i pulled up pictures of like real trans women and i showed it to her and say would you be comfortable if this person used your bathroom and she was like yeah she's a woman i was like trans woman (laughs) and i pulled up a a picture of a trans man and i said would you be comfortable if this person uses your bathroom i was like no that's a man i was like well according to your biological definition he this person, he, identify as a he, trans man, would have to use your bathroom because he, biologically speaking, technically is a woman, but he identifies a man. But hey, you said it's it's the biology that matters, right? So he, sh- he should use a woman's bathroom. And then, and I think that helped her a little bit understand that trans women are not just like, if I put on a wig, I'm not a trans woman. Right. I think that something that I have heard 
people talk about, and it's the sort of similar kinds of conversations that you were just describing, is the assumption that being trans is a choice. This is something that is an innate thing inside of people, right? This is something where people, how they feel on the inside, how they think about themselves, when they look in the mirror, they do not see on the outside what matches the inside. So for someone who is a trans woman, it is not a man using a woman's restroom. It is someone who identifies as a woman who in their core is a woman using a woman's restroom. So I'm so glad that you you did that exercise with your friend because, you know, we hear largely conservatives, yes. Republicans <laughs> talking about, you know, these extreme examples. Yeah, like one single case. Right. They use these extreme anecdotes, ends of one out of millions to say like, oh, well, we can't possibly do this because, you know, this teenage boy at school said that he was trans and then got into the girl's bathroom and then, you know, assaulted somebody. Right. Well, also, he dragged somebody into the girl's bathroom, not like he wasn't just in there. So also, he was very clearly not trans. Exactly. <laughs> right. There's there's that, too. But I think people use fear of the other, which is our innate instinct. Yeah. Our innate instinct is to fear things that are different from ourselves. And people leverage that fear to spread hate and to advance their, you know, religious goals often instead of their sort of non non um secular kind of more evidence-based <laughs> i like how you whisper that last part <laughs> i don't know i just i like i feel like i just got so deflated after this conversation <laughs> yeah discussing these and uh the current u.s political climate can be deflating but uh, all of that is to sort of teaser that we will do an episode about lgbtq it's something that is on our docket but like i said we are a very small solo production doing one episode a week so there's only so much that we can cover at any given time thank you so much for listening to this episode of everything is public health public health pondering if you like the show please share it with your friends family and acquaintances that is the best thing that you can do to help us tell everyone how awesome and critical public health is New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Please leave us a rating and a review. It helps the show immensely. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or think we missed an important perspective, please reach out to us at everythingispublichealth at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at, nope, <laughs> you can find me on threads at CastPhD. Please follow us on Instagram, threads, and Mastodon, all at Everything is Public Health. While we still have our Twitter account, we, for all intents and purposes, are not using it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to support the show directly, we have a Patreon page, which also acts like our website. Follow us there for all major updates and bonus material. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health. <laughs>